Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 332 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero. And uh, as always, I remind you guys, please make sure that you're subscribed here to the channel. You click that notification bell so you never miss a live video of the show. If you can't watch the live video, it's all good. Check out the audio podcast available on podcast platforms around the world. Just search for Michael Montero, The Neutral Corner. Boom, you'll see me. Make sure that you're following, you're giving ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. And last but not least, we don't charge any monetary fee on this show. All I ask is that if you guys get something out of it, you share the word. We grow this show by word of mouth. So if you get something out of the show, if you enjoy yourself, you have a little bit of fun, you learn a little something, if you're just entertained, all I ask is that you spread the word, man. Post this show on your social media platforms, your TikToks, your Twitters, your all that whatever stuff I haven't even heard about <laughs> and post it there. Just let people know. Okay. That is it. All right. <clears throat> a couple of you guys checking in, in the chat. Make sure that you click on that thumbs up button, by the way. Go ahead and jab that bad boy. And uh, let's get those numbers up. Um, all right. So, look, uh, Papa Chubby in the chest says, no fights, just gossip to discuss. Yeah, but we actually have some stuff to review. I'm sorry, to preview. We have nothing to review, but we have something to preview this weekend. So that's good. And a little bit of news and notes. Um, well, we're going to have a little bit of fun with news and notes. Let's get started with that, shall we? Okay. So today is day number 317 since Terrence Crawford has become a promotional free agent. His last day with top rank, his last fight, I should say, with top rank was 318 days ago when he fought Sean Porter, right? Last, I think, I believe it was November 20th, if I remember the date correctly. So we are at day 317, and I'm going to keep this count going. It's just fun. Look, when we have more to discuss, obviously, I won't talk about it. But I just think it's kind of fun to keep this going because for years, we were told that there are so many issues getting in the way of this fight. We were told, uh, well, the PBC doesn't recognize the WBO, right? Uh, although I guess they do at 154 pounds and some other divisions, but whatever. They didn't for a little while. Uh, Terrence Crawford wasn't even uttered. His name wasn't even uttered, and uh, he wasn't included on graphics that were, you know, part during broadcast on Showtime and Fox. And then we were told Bob Arum was in the way, right? It was this, that, the other thing, A side, B side, all of it. So listen, all those barriers are gone now. And suddenly, apparently, the PBC is back in business with the WBO because Errol Spence wants to fight Terrence Crawford, as he should. I truly believe these two fighters actually want to face each other. It'd be for undisputed at 147. All the belts, the sanctioning organizations are, are not forcing any mandatories. They're kind of letting PBC try to work this thing out. And it's been almost a year, and we don't have the fight. So um, I talked about this on my show Friday, and um, I've been talking about it the last few weeks. You, you guys know how I feel about breaking news and you know all this kind of stuff, sources. And I have a little fun with that on Twitter, of course, and here on the show. I'm not going to go down you know, that rabbit hole for the five millionth time, but this fight was apparently, you know, just a few weeks ago, it was as good as done, right? That's what we were told. And here we are. Now we're being told by the same person that said the fight was done, 
you know, all but done. And they just need to finalize a couple small little details. Cross the T's, dot the I's. Everything's good. Everything's agreed to. Well, apparently everything wasn't agreed to because now here we are a few weeks later and it's dead for November 19th. Let me just clue you guys in. It's dead for 2022. It's not happening this year. It's going to happen early next year when the books open back up at the, the broadcast company and all that. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But anyway, um, the same people that were telling you this thing is done, done, done. Well, now there are issues. And if you believe these same people, Terrence Crawford um, is upset because he's not getting a guaranteed purse. He's getting upside of the pay-per-view, right? He's getting a certain split of the upside money. And he uh, wants some transparency. He wants to be able to see the books. He wants to be able to see, okay, well, if I'm getting a cut of the remaining funds after your expenses and everything, I want to see the expenses. I want to see what's being spent on what. I'd like to see the books opened up. I would like to have access to see this stuff. I just want transparency so that I have some say in what gets spent and what doesn't um, because that affects my bottom line directly because you guys won't give me a guarantee and that's where we're at if you believe the sources right the anonymous sources so um listen is it more than that is it less than that is it that and maybe some other things we don't even know about sure it's probably all of the above right again nobody that's reporting on this is directly in the room but guys as i always say if you just kind of look at the track record and stay consistent and look at the way certain entities, certain platforms do business, and you look at the reality of the economics involved, it's not really that difficult to figure out. Am I saying I have all the answers? Absolutely freaking not. Nobody out there does except for the people directly related to the deal. That's a handful of people, right? The rest of us, a million other people, just have a freaking opinion. Some of us, our opinion is a little more reality-based than others, okay? I think that's why you guys watch this show. Um, just try to keep it in logic and reason and look at track records. And then you basically, yeah, it's conjecture. You know, yeah, am I hearing a little of this, a little of that from some of my sources? Yeah, maybe. But again, admittedly, I don't know anything about this damn deal that, that you guys don't know. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? We're all in the same boat, but I wanted to share a tweet with you guys. Cause I thought this was freaking awesome, man. Um, Couple guys in the chat with some uh, with some interesting comments here. Anthony Santiago asks, "What are the chances Crawford retires if the Spence fight doesn't happen?" I don't see him retiring. Um, that, that's an interesting question because a lot of people would ask, "Well, where does Crawford go if the bridge with Bob Arum is completely burned?" Right? Because uh, it got to put this into perspective of how idiotic Crawford handled everything with with top rank, and I like Terrence Crawford. He might be my favorite fighter pound for pound of this generation, just watching him fight. I really do like watching him fight. But boy, did he screw that up. When Terrence Crawford went pro, his first dozen or so fights were, were club shows. Basically the shows that like I fight on, a guy like me fights on, seriously, okay? That level of show. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. Go look the shit up if you don't believe me. PBC didn't want him. Golden Boy didn't want him. And this goes back when actually PBC was golden boy, basically. Um, Eddie Hearn and, and Matt, those guys didn't, nobody wanted them. 
top rank took a chance on him and built him into a multi-division title holder, an undisputed champ at 140, a fighter of the year winner, and a pound-for-pound number one fighter. Crawford was number one on several lists for a while. Top rank did all that for him. Now, I'm not saying Bob Arum didn't make mistakes. He did. And Arum says just egregiously stupid shit sometimes. He absolutely does. Okay. Um, You know, you could say that's part of his charm because he's like 900 years old. Okay, fine. But he does say some ridiculously stupid shit. And he did say some dumb things as it relates to Crawford. Some of the things he said had kernels of truth to them, but still shouldn't have been said in public if he's the guy managing and promoting Crawford's career. Um, That's all been debated to death. But what can't be debated is that none of these other promotions, including PBC, wanted a fucking thing to do with Crawford when he went pro. Top rank took him on, built him up into what he became. Okay, Crawford burned that bridge, you know, with that whole lawsuit. He's not going to get a dime of that money. I don't know who whispered in his ear and told him that was a good idea. Whatever. And it's looking dumber and dumber. Let me tell you something. If the fight with Spence was made in two months, and these guys had already fought over the summer or something, that lawsuit might, I still don't think it would, it would really lead to much, but it might have a little legs to it because people would be saying, damn, dude, man, maybe maybe Crawford did have something. So, you know, Maybe Top Rank really wasn't interested in making those big fights because look how quickly the Spence fight got made. Here we are almost a damn year later. It's not made. And the reason the fight's not made, if you believe sources, if you believe reports, Crawford apparently has acquiesced to all of PBC's demands, all of Errol Spence's demands. I don't even know if it's Errol Spence making the demands. It's management. Okay. But he's acquiesced to all of them. He's taking, he won't, he's not getting a guarantee. He's taking um, the smaller portion of the purse, all this stuff he's agreed to. It's basically him making every concession. All he wants is a little transparency. He's like, dude, if I'm making all these concessions, at least let me see the shit my last guy let me see. At least let me like have a little bit of um, information because the last guy let me see. that. Would Crawford be asking for something here with this deal that he wasn't getting before? Think about it. Um, That's the part to me that I think really, really stands out and has people kind of say, whoa. Okay, maybe there's something to all this. Anyway, to answer your question, Ant, sorry that was a tangent, but um, I don't think Crawford retires. He could kind of promote himself and do things in and around his hometown and stuff like that. He'll still get fights. But there aren't many places to go if he can't go with PBC because he's burned the top rank bridge. He could maybe go to Matchroom, but that would require him – making some some more concessions and ultimately being willing to travel and things like that. He did travel early in his career for his first title at lightweight, but he hasn't since. So I, I don't know, dude, he's not, he's definitely not retiring. Definitely not retiring at all. But I want to show you guys this tweet from ring IQ boxing talk. I like Julius, man. He, he's one of the few guys um, out there. He has a YouTube channel that I enjoy watching. And um, it, we, we see things very, very similarly. You know, we have a similar worldview on a lot of the the boxing topics. But I thought this tweet was, he just brought up a great point here. And I'm going to read this for you guys listening on audio. Um, And I quote, what kind of cash cow can't guarantee a fighter a purse? For God's sake, Charles Martin got $7 million for Anthony Joshua. 
Caleb Plant got $10 million for Canelo Alvarez, but Little Fish Errol Spence can't guarantee Bud no money. Heyman is not what you dummies think he is. Okay, so I think you guys see the point he's trying to make here. And I think it's a smart one. I think it's one worth bringing up because of all the context that I provided earlier. Okay, the fact that we were told for years that Bob Arum was the issue and and um, and even, even the guys at PBC, the reasonable guys like Tim Smith, who I like, would say things, and, and he's, he's correct, but he'd say things like, you know, Terrence Crawford is not a pay-per-view brand. He's not a pay-per-view star. It wasn't built in, in a pay-per-view market. And he's right about that, right? He's absolutely right. But then he'd follow it and say things like, Spence is a pay-per-view star. He's a pay-per-view brand. Um, you know, he's been established and, and built and developed on pay-per-view. That's not necessarily true. Just because you fight on pay-per-views doesn't make you a pay-per-view star. Now, has Spence sold more pay-per-views than Crawford? Yes. He's also had um, B-sides, sometimes against Mikey Garcia, promotionally, Spence was the B-side there. It, it was like A-minus, B-plus, but but Mikey Garcia was the A-side, the co commercially there. Anyway, he's uh, let, me, let me just, instead of using A-side, B-side, he's had more marketable dance partners. How about that? Spence has had dance partners that, that brought a little more to the table to help market those pay-per-views. And then also with the uh, infrastructure, with the networks that PBC was working through, there was a little, uh, a little easier through some of those old established channels to sell a little more pay-per-views. So Spence has sold more pay-per-view than Crawford, but I certainly wouldn't call him a pay-per-view star, right? And it, it goes to this, this point here that Julius is making where, look, when Charles Martin got that belt, I think it was the IBF belt. And it was a freak accident. He would have, he wasn't going to win that fight against um, Vashasov Glaskov, I think it was. And neither of them should have been fighting for a belt, but I can go into that whole thing. Um, but Martin had it. And Anthony Joshua's people were smart enough to see that and be like, holy shit, let's pay just whatever we got to pay to get that damn belt. Because Anthony Joshua could show up 50% and still win that fight going away. Eddie Hearn was smart enough to know that right away. So were Anthony Joshua's people. So they overpaid, grossly overpaid for that fight. Charles Martin got, he, he basically punched a lottery ticket there. Now keep in mind, Charles Martin's a PBC fighter, right? PBC fighter. I think uh, Deontay Wilder had a belt by that point. I want to say he had the WBC belt at that point. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but you would think that PBC at that point would even if Wilder didn't have it, they'd, they'd find a way to get one of their guys going up against Martin for that IBF belt. Let's say, let's if Wilder didn't even have it yet, let's get Wilder that belt, right? But I think Wilder had the WBC. Um, they would have thrown out a ton of money to get a unification fight together or something like that, right? Um, but Wilder didn't command the amount of money that Joshua did. Hearn and Joshua were able to grossly overpay Charles Martin. Because Joshua is such a brand that marketing that fight as a title fight, which technically it was, over in the UK, was big enough where they could do that. Uh, same thing with Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant. Canelo was trying to go for Undisputed at 168. Um, you know, not just in the United States, but particularly in Mexico. That's That was a big deal, right? 
Um, and Canelo is the cash cow of boxing in North America. And they were able to grossly overpay Caleb Plant for that fight. Now, Canelo had to do a deal with PBC. They wouldn't do business otherwise. So that was maybe um, maybe they learned a little bit from the fight between Martin and Joshua. And this time they're like, no, 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 Canelo, you're going to do a pay-per-view with us because we're going to do this fight here in the United States. And I think they understood economically it made the most sense in Vegas. In the case of Joshua Martin, that made the most sense over in the UK. So anyway, the deal was different. PBC tried to get Canelo to sign a multi-fight deal. He looked at those contracts and said, fuck no, I'm not doing that. And they did a one-off. And Canelo was such a massive brand. He's such a big brand that they were able to justify grossly overpaying Caleb Plant to basically sell his title to Canelo. So if, if you were, for years, we were told that this situation between Spence and Crawford is similar, right? Because Arab did not build a brand with Crawford because he never, he, he did fight on pay-per-view, but he never sold a lot on pay-per-view. Nobody cares about him, blah, 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 blah. And Spence is the A-side. Spence is the big superstar. He's the money man in the welterweight division, yada, yada, yada. That's what we've been told. Okay, now's your chance to prove it. Grossly overpay this dude. Give him a guaranteed uh, salary. Give him a guarantee. You keep the rest. If you're that confident in your brand with Errol Spence, if he's every bit the superstar that Canelo is, that uh, Joshua is, that Fury and Wilder and Golovkinar, if he's on that level, then do that. Do the make it simple, dude. Go to pay per view, just like you did with Canelo and uh, and Plant. If if Spence is Canelo, and Crawford is Plant, then do that deal. But that's not happening, and it, it, it's kind of exposing just a little bit some of the things that some of us have been saying for years and got shit on now certain media entities certain youtube channels etc they're either being really silent about this or they're kind of flipping it and just saying that you know terrence crawford's ducking which is ridiculous i don't again i think spence and crawford both want the damn fight i really really do um <clears throat> but it's it's breaking down in negotiations when we were told oh this is going to be easy it's going to be real real easy just get get that devil out of the way the Bob Arum, that devil, get him out of the way. This will be easy to make. Well, it's proving to not be that easy, is it? Because look where we're at. So um, anyway, I just, some food for thought. I wanted to show that to you guys. Also wanted to um, show you one of my, my polls. You guys know I love doing polls, right? Let me pull this up. Here we go. All right. I had a little fun with this. Uh, which fight happens first? And I have Spence versus Crawford. Fury versus Usyk, Canelo versus Benavidez, and Garcia versus Davis. Now, what's interesting is Garcia versus Davis won the poll. And what was last place was Canelo versus Benavidez. Uh, but third place was Spence Crawford. There are more of you out there that think we're going to get Ryan Garcia versus Tank Davis and Tyson Fury versus Alexander Usyk before we get Spence versus Crawford. That surprised me. That really surprised me because um, this wasn't like a trolling poll where I was having fun because I thought about putting like Jake Paul versus somebody. I put him in the hashtags to troll a little bit, but I thought about putting him in one of the um, questions like like Jake Paul versus Canelo Alvarez. I thought about throwing something like that in there, but I didn't do it. Anyway, I was really surprised to see these results. A lot of you have completely lost hope in that fight, man. Um, okay, let's move on. Well, actually, we got a... 
We got one super chat. Yeah, let me get to this. Sam with a super chat. Thank you, Sam. He said, heard a rumor that Bob is going to sell top rank soon. Sam, I've I've been hearing that rumor for 10 plus years, man. Uh, every year. It's like, oh, yeah, Bob Arum is going to sell top rank because he's so old. Why would he sell? He's a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. The one thing about Bob Arum, I think he's going to work until he dies. The second that dude stops working, I think that his health will will deteriorate. He's one of those guys that needs to be working, and he's got a really good staff there at top rank. He will leave the reins of that company with, with those folks, and um, I think it'll be successful in the future. It won't quite be the same without Bob, but I just I can't see Bob selling and walking away, even at this point in his life. I think he will literally work until he drew. That's just my personal opinion. It would be interesting if you sold it. But I mean, guys, we've heard that. Um, I always hear rumors Golden Boy is going to sell. I've heard, you know, rumors recently that PBC was going to sell. Somebody's always trying to sell. Never really happens, though. All right, let's move on with some more news and notes. Um, th- this is a, uh, a sad note. Um, a Brazilian champion, uh, one of the all time greats, for definitely one of the best Brazilian, probably the best Brazilian fighter ever, Edir Joffrey. Uh, died Sunday from complications. Apparently, it was due to CTE. He, he was diagnosed at a certain point later in life with CTE, and I think he had a pneumonia as a result of you know just de- deterioration from CTE. At least that's as I understand it. And died in his homeland in Brazil. I uh, was a champion at 118 and 126, the legitimate champion at 118, uh, International Boxing Hall of Famer, of course. Only lost twice, knocked out 50 opponents. And it's a, it's a small group of fighters that have knocked out 50 or more uh, fighters, but only lost twice. And both of those losses were to a Japanese great fighting Harada, one of the best uh, from Japan. So um, really, really great career and probably the best fighter ever from Brazil. He is, uh, he is now uh, RIP. So um, all right, farewell champ. And um, let's move on. <clears throat> Let me see here. Check the phones. Okay. Uh, we'll go to the phones in a couple minutes, guys. But um, we can't review anything because nothing took place last week. And I know there were some club shows and some fun stuff. Uh, Tijuana had a card and stuff like that. But I'm talking about major events. There's really nothing to review. But we got some stuff to preview this weekend. This Saturday, October 8th. Let's start here in America. And then we'll get over to the, to the uh, showdown in London. In Carson, California, it's just south of Los Angeles. We have PBC and Showtime. I think this is TGB Promotions. And uh, the main event, Sebastian Fundora versus Carlos Ocampo. And Fundora has an interim belt at 154 with the WBC. So technically that belt will be on the line here. Uh, I talked to Sebastian a couple weeks ago when I was in Detroit. I released that interview on my YouTube channel so you guys could check it out. We talked for maybe about 10 minutes or so. And I asked him about this opponent, you know, how to, because look, a lot of people are looking at this as a tune-up fight, a stay busy fight, whatever. Of course, earlier this year, uh, Fundora had that great fight with Erickson Lubin. We had Erickson Lubin on the show just a little bit after that. Um, fantastic fight for me, probably the fight of the year so far. And I know there's there's several candidates, uh, Wood Conlon and then uh, Taylor Serrano. There's a couple of good fights but for me, that one edges it. Um, I, I think Fundora Lubin so far, anyway, we still got a few months, but so far as the fight of the year. Um, brutal fight, man. You know, Lubin's face got busted up. He, he really took a lot of damage. 
Fedora got dropped in that fight, but uh, did eat some punches. But I asked him, point blank, any injuries, any, any scratches, bumps, bruises, whatever. He said no. He said he was back in the gym training two weeks later. Anyway, he is lined up for a shot, eventual shot, at Jermel Charlo, the undisputed champion, right? By virtue of the WBC belt that he is now mandatory for. But apparently, um, according to reports and sources and all that, and I think it's pretty much a done deal. Uh, Charlo is going to fight Tim Zhu early next year, I think in January. So, so Fundura is kind of in a holding pattern right now, right? Um, and this would be the type of matchup against Ocampo. A lot of people would look at this as what's called a banana peel, possible banana peel, because you can overlook a guy like this. Ocampo has only stepped up once. And that was, I don't know, four or five years ago. He was, this is when he was at 147. I think it was his first time fighting in America because he's he's a Mexican fighter. And he fought uh, against Errol Spence. And I want to say it was in Dallas. I'm pretty sure it was in, in Texas, um, right outside of Dallas. Correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, Spence dispatched him in one round, right? It was just an absolute blowout. You could tell that Ocampo was just not ready for that. Now, he's won 12 in a row since. But if you look at the level of opposition, not necessarily strong. But what they're telling you, promotional-wise for this fight is, hey, Ocampo moved up in weight. He was struggling to make 147. He's better at 154. He's won 12 in a row. He's rejuvenated. He's a legit top 10 junior middleweight. That is what the promotion is is selling this fight as. And Fondora basically said, um, look, I'm taking this guy as seriously as I'm taking everybody. I don't give a shit if it's Charlo, if it's Lubin, if it's Ocampo. I'm taking them on the exact same and preparing the exact same way. So I love that attitude. He also told me that um, should everything go well in this fight and he doesn't have any major injuries, he wants to fight again. If he doesn't get to fight by the end of this year, the very beginning of next year, right around the time we see Charlo Zhu, he wants to stay busy. And he told me, um, this is a quote, he said, you know, that's the best thing you could do in boxing is stay busy. That's exactly what he told me. Again, guys, go uh, find the interview on my channel. Awesome attitude. I love Sebastian Fedora's attitude. He's a young guy, and I don't knock the PBC or Fedora's team at all for taking this kind of fight right here. You know, you just had a tough, grueling fight of the year with Erickson Lubin, who is a there is a proven top 10 junior middleweight. You're waiting in line for the winner between Charlo Zhu next year. So in the meantime, you want to stay busy. This is the right opponent, man. I, I, I like it. Now, does this opponent prepare you for the winner of Charlo Zoo? No, it doesn't. But it keeps you busy. Keeps you busy, keeps you in the gym, keeps you on weight, all that good stuff. What I'd like to see is Fundora put on a fantastic dominant performance, take care of business, and then get back in the ring, whether it's you know January, February, something like that next year, against an opponent a little bit better than Ocampo, but it's probably not going to be you know, the, the absolute elite of the division. I get that. But somebody legit top 10, a proven guy um, to help prepare him for that eventual fight. But I, I like Fedora's attitude, man. I really, really do. And I expect him to put on a good performance here. Also on this card, Carlos Adames versus Juan Maceas Montiel. And this is for a vacant interim belt at 160, another BC. Man, the BC and the BA, they love throwing out those interim and Reggie Belts, man, they just love it. Uh, but this is a that's a good quality matchup. 
that's a good matchup. That's more of a diehard fight fans kind of matchup, right? Um, these guys aren't necessarily names, but I think that's going to be a good fight just because of the style match. Also, uh, Fernando Martinez versus German on Cajas for uh, the IBF 115-pound title, junior bantamweight, super flyweight, whichever you prefer. That's a pretty good matchup, too. Ancajas, though, I got to say, has kind of just been disappointing. 115 pounds has really been such a strong division, and at one point he was looked at as one of the top guys and just kind of flatlined, plateaued. Anyway, that's that's a good matchup. And then um, I, I thought I saw this on the schedule. Iga Dijus Kavliowskis going up against Michael Fox, 10 rounds, 147 pounds. All in all, man, that's a pretty good card. So you guys there in L.A., that would definitely be one to get out to and check out. That'll be fun. Uh, the crowd will be hyped for that one. Uh, some of the fights in the crowd will be fun. But uh, down there in Carson, I love that venue. Dignity Health Sports Home Depot Center or whatever the hell it is. Fun venue, man, especially this time of year. You know, wear pants, wear a long sleeve, because once that sun dips, it'll get a little chilly out. But this is just the best time of year to go see cards there perfect freaking weather you guys will have a blast so go check that out all right let's go to london actually i think yeah i got a super chat i can't ignore this super chat let's get this aaron super chat thank you so much said yo mike not boxing related but i am with thad i'll watch australian open tennis or anything over boxing unless it's championship level like bivol baturbiev etc hey man look i don't blame you you know, um, I don't want to get on the rant, but obviously I'm a boxing degenerate and I, I do watch a lot of boxing. I talk about it a lot. I write about it. Uh, I think about it a lot. I practice the sport. I actually uh, train in the sport. So uh, I love it. But it, it does get harder and harder and harder to, to deal with all the politics and stuff and uh, certain fights not coming together, the frustration especially when the reasons for it are, are kind of stupid. <laughs> and um, then you try to tell the truth about those things and people out there call you all sorts of nasty names and stuff. So it, it, um, it can weigh on you and it, it, it's tough. So, so listen, I, dude, I don't blame you. If you don't want to watch the fights this weekend and you'd rather watch tennis or some other sport, I, I totally get it, Aaron. I, I get it. Me again, I'm a degenerate, so I probably will turn on the boxing this weekend. I probably will watch some of it. I do enjoy watching Sebastian Fondura fight, so I will watch that one. Don't know if I'll watch it live. Might watch it Sunday. But I got to say, the fight in London, it, it's it's kind of a freak show. It's kind of a circus, but I'm probably going to watch that live. If I don't have anything going on, I'll probably watch that one live. But I'm definitely a degenerate. You know, um, I, I watch a lot of this stuff. So anyway, I don't blame you. Don't blame you at all. Oh, we got another one from Sam. Thank you so much. He said, some prelims are better than the main event. Yeah, man. Yeah, I agree. If you're talking, especially talking about that card in Carson, um, th that's a good card. Again, you know, th that's one of those cards that PBC puts together where I like some of the matchups on the undercard. It's not necessarily, again, the biggest names, um, elite level guys, nothing like that. But the matchups are as such where I think you're going to get entertaining fights. And when they do it like that, 
You know, TGB Promotions does a, does a good job with this because they have the fights coming out one after the other. They don't bullshit between fights, man. Um, they just boom, boom, boom. They, they'll stack the undercard with different fights. It'll be like those sorts of cards that they put on are fun to go to. Take it from me, guys, from my experience. Again, any of you guys in the LA area, I think that'd be a fun event to go to. Michael Mendiola says, I am the biggest boxing boxing degenerate here. I was front row in commerce this past Saturday for the elite promotions card. Hey, man, I feel you. <laughs> Dude, that was the one thing about being in LA. There was events every weekend. It, whether it was some sort of amateur event or a club show, just a random club show in a hole in the wall in the middle of nowhere. It could be like an armory or in a gymnasium. I would go... Um, there was one in Glendale once, Taishan Dong, remember the, the seven foot tall Chinese, Chinese guy, uh, he fought and it was like some gym in Glendale and they just put a ring in there and maybe a few hundred chairs. I was there. Uh, yeah, I would go to that stuff all the time, dude. It was fun. It was fun, man. But that's, you know, living in Southern California, that's the benefit because California pumps out more cards than like the next five States combined every single year. And most of that is in Southern California. Super chat from Tommy Barceo. What's up, man? Tommy, it's good to see you, bro. It's been a while. He says, salut, Montero. I'll be honest. I'm a bit checked out from boxing also, but I still listen in or watch your podcast when I have time. I appreciate it, Tommy. And listen, I, I hear you, man. Like, guys, I get it. You know, um, it, it's tough. It's tough to hang on one second. I got to drink some water. It is tough to um, maintain the passion. It really is. And there are times where um, I'm really burnt out. I really, really am. And um, I don't know what's going to happen when my daughter's born in a few weeks. I don't know if I'll check out for a couple of weeks or, or not. The one thing I will say, doing this show and talking with you guys every week, I mean, you guys know I've been through some difficult stuff in the last couple of years. Um, and this show has helped me get through that stuff, not to get all cheesy and mushy and corny, but it really, really has. Sometimes um, just being able to log on and talk to you guys and do this show has really just helped me get through that stuff. And I've talked about this before, too, um, long before I did any kind of media work and stuff. And I was just a crazy boxing degenerate fan, like in my 20s. And I was on the road traveling for business all the time or for sports stuff, whatever, athletic stuff, or when I was in the military. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where I was in different cities. I didn't know anybody there. This was before Tinder and stuff like that, right? There's a different world, guys. Now you go to a new city, you're like, ah, shit, let me check my Tinder. Okay. Uh, but no, no, this was before all that. And, um, you know, Friday night fights on ESPN and stuff like that is, is how it helped me cope with loneliness and things like that. Um, so sometimes, you know, boxing helps me through those sorts of things, but as far as some of the bullshit, the dysfunction, I hear you guys, I don't blame you at all. I truly don't. Aaron with another super chat. Thanks again, bro. He says, Mike, will you be commenting for Cambosos Haney? That undercar looks very nice. What date is that again? Let me look that up because I don't want to mess this up because the date would be important. Yeah, okay. That is in about two weeks. 
So I don't know, dude, maybe I could, maybe for that one, I could do a, um, like a live fight commentary or something next Saturday. Let me know what you get. If you guys would be interested in that, maybe I could do that. The thing is, I just don't know how competitive that fight's going to be, man. You know what I'm saying? I just don't know. Mindiola adds, uh, we have club shows from Ray Engelbrecht, Thompson Boxing, Marv Nation, Ed Holmes, all-star elite promotions, plus all the big boys. Absolutely, man. And there's other club shows occasionally doing stuff too. I mean, there's just random stuff popping up and there's always like a junior amateur show. Um, you can find, you know, master stuff, whatever. There's just always something like that going on. So if you're just looking to see some fights pretty much every weekend in Southern California, uh, you're going to find it. Um, James Burrell says you should definitely check out if you can, like the boxing soap opera will still be here. Yeah, I probably will. Probably will. <clears throat> um, Aaron is actually going to be ringside for the Haney Cambosos card. Hey man, enjoy it, Aaron. Enjoy it, brother. There's nothing like being ringside. That is one thing uh, I do miss. I haven't been ringside for a big show this whole year. Um, I have, I, I covered several events last year, but, um, you know, I, I started training later in the year, had a fight. I, I was training earlier this year for a fight. I was training for one this summer. It fell through when you're in training and stuff, you can't travel like that, you know? And then my wife's been pregnant. I've been taking care of her. My mother has had poor health. I've been trying to help out with her. So it's just been different things going on and I couldn't get to any, but man, I miss it. Um, so hopefully, Hopefully, maybe next year at some point I can get out to some uh, some big fights ringside because there's nothing like it, man. Anthony Santiago with a super chat. Thank you, Ant. He says, what up, everyone? Saw the interview with Fundora. I love that his priority is staying active. Breadman, Stephen Breadman Edwards covering for the Daily Mailbag was awesome. He made a great comparison of Triple G, Carlos Monzon, Marvin Hagler careers. I saw that, Ant. Breadman is on point all the time and he's actually i've had him on the show before but it's been a while maybe i should get him back on the show i love his point of view on things he's another guy like his worldview on boxing matters and the business and everything like that see it very very similarly but he's just a smarter person than me <laughs> the way he articulates it and sees things i always feel like i'm learning something when i talk to him just because of the way he sees something it might not even be like I'm learning a new fact. It might be something I already know, but it's just like his point of view on it. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, there's another wrinkle I didn't even consider. Like every time I talk with him, man, just a cool guy, just a really, really cool guy. But I saw, you know, he he basically, guys, for, for those of you who didn't see it, Redman compared, he talked about the age that Hagler was at his peak and when he fought his best fighters, uh, his best opponents. And the same thing with Monzon and how I want to say Hagler was like 32. Monzon was like 35. And then he showed who Triple G just fought at 40. And was basically making the comparison. And then he, he said if Monzon had done that, he would have had to fight enlisted the fighters. If Hagler had done that, he would have had to fight and then enlisted the fighters. It really put things into perspective. A lot of you guys out there, I know on this show anyway, respect Triple G. But there's still so many haters, and it's it's just bizarre. It's just one of those really, really bizarre things when you look at um, – I just think he's an underappreciated fighter by a lot of people. Anyway, yeah, man, I love Breadman. 
he's, he's just just a cool guy. It just he just sees things in such a smart way. All right, um, guys, I'm going to jump to the phones real quick. I'm going to start with a call from Canada from a guest that I wanted to bring on. In fact, let me share. I just want to share his Twitter account so you guys can see his Twitter here. Uh, give me one second to pull it up. All right, here we go. Jay Chaudhry, who is in Toronto, he's a, a award-winning filmmaker and a sports producer. He has, uh, I want to say it's like over 15 years of experience in the sports and athletics marketing field. He's worked directly with athletes. Um, I, I wanted to bring him on to talk about social media branding and boxing and where so many boxers get it wrong. I'm not boxers, but I'm sorry, boxing promotions get it wrong. What, what these guys are doing right, what they're doing wrong, what they could do better. And this is a field that Jay works in uh, and he has worked in extensively. Um, so I I'm going to bring him on the phone here. We couldn't do video today, but he's going to call in. Um, I thought this would be interesting for you guys to hear because I talk with Jay like offline a lot on Twitter and stuff, but I want to bring him on the show to talk about some of the stuff because he could articulate it way better than I can. So let, let me pull him up real quick, guys. And for those of you waiting on hold, just continue to hang out. Uh, let's bring him on. Jay, what's up, brother? Can you hear me? Testing, testing, one, two. What's up, Michael? Gotcha, gotcha. We hear you loud and clear, my friend. I don't, you, are you uh, Good stuff. You're busy with like babysitting kids and stuff right now, so hopefully we won't hear like yeah, a bunch of... Yeah, I got my niece here, and I also got a crazy-ass cat. So <laughs> if I was to video call, you guys would have cameras from the most adorable creatures, but it'd be highly annoying for me. Okay, okay. All right, so if we hear screaming in the background, it might be your niece. It might be the cat. We won't know yeah. until we hear it, but okay. There you go, there you go. All right, man, could you talk real quick just a little bit about your background and how it relates to boxing? And then I want to get into a little bit about, because uh, I see you tweet stuff all the time. Where I'm like, holy shit, that's a great point. Just how boxing in general could do a better job in the internet space and in the social media space, you know, all of that. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, we're certainly getting there uh, one step at a time. But, you know, as boxing has it, like it's always taking – you know, one step forward, two steps behind sort of thing. But where my experience uh, uh, kind of like took off from was my work primarily in boxing was with Phil LoGreco, you know, local boxer here out of Toronto. Everybody probably remembers the name because he fought Errol Spence, Sean Porter, then Amir Khan. Uh, and because he was just like a local talent, I've been a, you know, a filmmaker um, most of my career. Uh, we hooked up and we created boxing's first ever food and travel show at the time, which was called Culinary Fighter. And it was a hit like all over YouTube. And I was literally taking notes from like, you know, what other athletes from other spaces were doing at the time, which was the YouTube space, you know, and at the time it was buying YouTube. Instagram was kind of popping off back then, but there was no TikTok or anything of that sort. So we just created something very special and season one took off and he got to fight uh, with Amir Khan because of it, because we created all this social media stir. And all while that was going on, um, I was actually one of the first, I probably was the first person of boxing to even see the rise of Jake, Logan, and KSI because, once again, being in the YouTube space made me recognize all the other celebrities that were on it. And Jake was already vlogging every day, and I already saw that he was in boxing. And there was already an inkling for me that, you know, he'd probably get into the space eventually. And when he, and when his brother did, sorry, with KSI for that first fight, um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but I actually put that in front of Eddie Hearn and his team there. At matching, I said, take a look at this. These kids are pulling in a million buys off of YouTube. He sure it was 10 bucks at the time, but it certainly raised everybody's eyebrows. And, you know, the rest is history after that. Now the YouTube space has become such a dominant uh, matrix in the boxing space that, you know, 
we got prize fighters now who are not even anywhere close to these YouTubers um, who are making more money than them, not just in the fight night, but in the sponsorship and partnership side as well. So there's a lot to be learned from the YouTube space. And I'm just here to kind of connect those dots. So, so it's, is it primarily YouTube or is it also Twitter, Instagram, all of it? And how can, how can it turn into like monetization for fighters? Because everybody's streaming the pay-per-views, right? The old system is not working. It's breaking down. Pay-per-view is always going to be a part of the sport in some way, but how can mm -hmm. the major platforms, you know, uh, Matchroom, PBC, Top Rank, tap into some of the things you're talking about? Well, it's twofold, right? So it's not just what can the promoters do, but it's what can the fighters do themselves. Okay. Um, so it's like, you know, let's talk about the promotion promoters first because there's two verticals to this whole thing, right? The first one is is the promotion game with pay-per-view and all that. You're right. I agree. I think the pay-per-view model will continue in some fashion, regardless of what happens with, you know, the broadcast of boxing because, you know, as we all know, it is everything is slowly turning into streaming. So whether it's streaming, whether it's through linear, whatever it might be, there's always going to be some kind of pay-per-view element to the sport, right? So right. there's that. But what the promotion companies are lacking is actually in the side of audience acquisition, a.k.a. how to build a community of fans and actually tie them into your uh, organization as a measurement of units. You know what I mean? So it's like all the major league sports have their own apps, something that we don't have. We don't have a PPC app, a Topic app, a Golden Boy app, nothing. Uh, we don't have no AI-generated type of technology built into our events that actually acquires audiences. For example, you know, I talk a lot about the Wilder Fury uh, trilogy. Some of the biggest pay-per-views that ever happened in the last five years, we had the tech here to position inside the stadiums to make sure that every guest or every attendee was tracked and traced so that we could package them another package for later. And it's like, we're lacking on this stuff a lot when it comes to the AI and tech stuff and um, how does that equal into monetization? Well, because you're building a community of that that goes beyond just the traditional boxing fan, and this is how you grow the sport for the longevity of the sport. Now, on the athlete side, this is where it gets really fun, and this is what I this is what I promote the most is athlete content and athlete name image name image and likeness programs where the athlete now has total control of his career outside of boxing, setting up your own YouTube channel, setting up your own uh, TikTok channel, setting up your own digital identity online for merch, for content, for cross promotion, for collabing. That's all monetization, Michael. Like, you know, these YouTubers are making close to $10,000, $20,000 a month just off like one minute, two minute videos for a reason. It's because they understand that there's a market for it who's going to consume the content of the sport. And what happens to that audience or that purchaser, he's your future pay-per-view buyer. The way that the industry is headed right now, we're heading into a digital market where everything's going to be streamed. You're going to want to bring more than the fight game to impress a promoter in the future. You're going to want to say things like, hey, not only am I bringing a record of 6-0, and but I'm building a brand, I'm bringing a fan base with me. This is, what, this is how Jake Paul got ahead of the game so quick. He skipped the line for a reason. Right. Because he brought the fan base. Right? So, so these can, are what can happen to our understanding is that the more you can build your brand, your fan base, the more it is better for you in the longevity of the sport. Some of that is going to be dependent on the fighter's contract with a promoter. Because I know certain platforms, I won't name names, but they don't allow their athletes to really say a whole lot outside of the promotion. Other promoters seem to be cooler with it. Have you noticed that? Like, I'll just, I'll name one name. It seems to me that Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing tend to understand this stuff a little bit better 
than the other promoters. Am I right or wrong about that? Yeah, but as a as a headline statement, yeah, for sure, because Eddie Hearn was the one who actually gave the first shot to the YouTubers coming to the space. So 100%, I can agree with that. He was he definitely more open. He's definitely more understanding of this game. And he's also somebody who I, who, who I speak with, and I speak with his partner, Frank, uh, you know, regularly. And they totally understand, you know, this whole game and this whole side of things. So they know what they're doing. They're building the content. They're encouraged all their athletes to go out there and, like, and look, hey, whatever your fight bank is, take a percent of it, put it into your content. Like, they're now telling their athletes this kind of stuff. And so they're great promoters like that and great managers like that. But unfortunately in U.S., and I can say this because I put in my hours here, bro. Like, I've been doing this in 2017. I was, like, one of the most, you know, loudest voices in the sport when it comes to this. And I've spoken to top ranks, the PBCs, the the uh, Golden Boys, the Lou DiBellas. I've spoken to all these gentlemen. Um, and it's like, they get it, but they don't want to put in the extra effort of work. Because what's not broken, don't fix it. Like, you make total yeah. sense, Jay, but it just, it's, just it's, not, it's not here right now. This is not for us right now. And that's why I keep saying it's like, some of these guys just got to, you know, pass the baton to the next guy because in order to grow the sport, you need somebody young and fresh who understands this, who can grow it. But both of these guys are just like, you know, I'm not naming any names. Everybody who I did name, all phenomenal people right. that I've spoken to that I've worked with in the past on, on projects here and there. But it's like the overall picture, they're just failing to take it by the horns, unfortunately. Yeah, I feel like the first promotion because I hear what you're saying about the fighters. I mean, in boxing, the, the the fighters are the brand. You think of like football, it's the NFL. Basketball is the NBA. Boxing is very different. No one cares if it's WBC, WBO. It's all about the, the fighter yeah. themselves. They are the brand. But if a promoter figures out how to do this and they bring in guys like you to help st do strategic marketing and advertising on these social platforms to build up an audience – that wants to tune in to watch, quote unquote, let's say Montero promotions. They want to watch Montero promotions fights. Whoever's fighting, they want to watch my fighters fight. That is kind of what yep. UFC has. And the first boxing promoter yep. that figures this does, shit UFC, out. Honestly, man, they, yeah, they do the best job. Like, and right. it, I'm, I'm even a fan of UFC ahead of even the work that, cause I work in NFL and NBA as well. Like I, I give Dana more credit for the content side than I give NBA and NFL. And those guys are way much bigger than the UFC, but right. Dana, like his team is very strong. They're super talented, super creative, and they focus on the athlete. Minus the fact that this guy needs to start paying his freaking guys. But yeah, he does right. You know them. what I mean? Like he, <laughs> he definitely has a good them. grip on the brand. <laughs> yeah. He definitely has a good grip on the brand though. That's yes. For okay, cool, man. Yeah. And I, I agree with you, man. And the promoters need to just start understanding that, you know, the way that the industry is headed, they didn't just start getting ahead of it. And it's not even getting ahead. It's like when you finally figure out how TikTok works, it's going to be something else there. And we don't need to be decades behind all the time on this stuff, guys. Yeah, I, I just feel like they're always late to the game and someone's going to figure this out. Even you just mentioning the streaming component, I, there's just going to be more and more streaming. It's not going away. It's actually getting bigger and bigger. And again, boxers have always been the brand in this sport. The fighters, like we might get to a point where promoters are going to look. I mean, it used to be promoters look at signing guys out of the Olympics, but we might get to a point where they're looking at that, but they're also looking about looking at how many TikTok followers you have, how many Instagram followers. I hate to be that way, but they're going to look at that kind of stuff. 
because they're going to say, okay, we can monetize. It is, no, it's it's a hundred percent going to be about that though. Yeah. It's a hundred thousand percent. I have, there's no doubt in my mind. It's going to be that, uh, not with the current, uh, owners and CEOs who are running it for sure because they don't know what the fuck we're talking about. But <laughs> right, the next right. line in, whoever that might be, the Bob Aram's nephew or like, right, the, right, right, you right. know what I'm saying? Oscar De La Hoya's new intern who turned VP of marketing. Those guys who are coming up right now. Yeah, 100% they're going to be like, I don't care if you're 13 and 0. You have like 200 followers on on, on Instagram. You get in my face. Like we're trying to build a brand here and that's what's yeah. going to come. Unfortunately, that is the name of the game. It I know because the there's name. a downside to, to that. But you got to be able to market yourself too. Yeah. It, so, like, if the, the smartest kids coming up in the amateurs right now are trying to sign with with some sort of advertising people or something like to help with a PR person to help with that side of it to build that up, even in the amateurs. Yeah. I see some of these standout amateurs are starting to build themselves up on social so they have both sides of it so you have the amateur experience and background but you also have some branding as well that's going to be the future of the business because so I'm, I'm sure you heard of yeah, the uh, ncaa right of course yeah, i'm sure you, you're speaking about the amateurs and i love how you brought that up mike because it's so important to talk about this as well um like in comparison the ncaa is like the amateurs in boxing right it's like where people started showing up to little college events ours is more or less and just banquet halls and wedding halls, whatever it might be. But right. at the end of the day, it's the amateur games and you're building your profile. Uh, the NCAA finally has NIL uh, uh, integration, which is name, image, and likeness. So, for example, Adidas, this year in March, they're pledging 50,000 athletes, like brand marketing programs. They pledged it for 50,000 college athletes right across wow. America, which is awesome. So that by the time they get to the NBA, or if they don't get to the NBA, at least they got something to stand on. And boxing, I, now, now here's how that would work. You come through the amateur rankings, you build your profile, you connect yourself to a brand or a sponsor. By the time you get your amateur career over, you're a pro. That conversation becomes more of a um, comfortable conversation with that promoter at the time. Where you say, okay, cool, I like your record. You know, 200 and only amateurs, 1 and 0 pro fight, but look at the brand you're bringing on board. Because for them, it's going to be beneficial too, because now they can plug their brand integration onto their programming. So it's a win-win for everybody. It's just that people just need to start opening their eyes. I hear you, man. Um, before I let you go, I, I got your Twitter pulled up here. Are there any other social media links that you want to share or websites or anything like that? I see uh, no, Jay Chauvin Films. I just encourage everybody to, you know, like as much as you guys love, yeah, I just want to encourage everybody who's listening and yourself, uh, as much as we love coming at promoters those for making fights happen we should equally start coming at the those to make boxing like you know the way it's supposed to be and the way that's always been which is like a money prize fighting sport with 50 60 thousand people in the arenas but we can certainly get it there hell yeah bro thanks a lot for coming on man we'll have you on again uh in the future all right thank you Mike. Good all right man have a good one all right there he goes yeah guys uh so look i know some of that some of you guys might be like boring boring but listen this stuff's important. I thought it'd be worth talking about because, um, again, the future of this business is going to be on apps. It's going to be on streaming platforms. And there, there's a direct link between your social media accounts. If you're, if you're an athlete, your social media profiles and things like that, and the streaming profiles, right? Some, some, or platforms, I should say. Sometimes um, they're one and the same. So if a guy, I'm not, 
do I want to see more of Logan Paul? No, that's not what this segment was about. I don't want to see more Logan Paul. What I want to see more of is guys like, I'll think of all these young fighters. But let's talk about just specifically young American fighters. Ryan Garcia, Trevante Davis, Devin Haney, Tiafimo Lopez, all these guys, Shakur Stevenson. I want to see them market themselves a little bit more like Jake Paul. Right. I'm not talking about the trolling stupidity. I'm talking about the platforms build themselves up on those media platforms, because that is where that's where the media is now. Okay. You, you think of like Oscar de la Hoya. He was a star before he went pro because he fought in the Olympics, basically during the last Olympics that America watched. I'm talking about Olympic boxing. He was the golden boy. Right. And he had, he had a great story. A lot of people in America watched him in the Olympics. So when he went pro, he kind of had a name for himself back. That media infrastructure is, is collapsing. And the new place now is in the digital space. And I don't understand it that well. I'm starting to a little bit. But I'm telling you, the fighters, I'm, I'm talking about actual fighters. I'm not talking about celebrities during the new crossover shit. I'm talking about fighters. The fighters... And the managers, the PR people attached to the fighters, and ultimately one of these promoters is going to figure this shit out and actually invest money. I'm talking millions, not a couple hundred dollars, not paying some intern, some pizza face intern to do this shit for free. I'm talking about hiring professionals, put in real money, develop the infrastructure. They are going to figure that shit out and they're going to take over the game. It, it, it's right there. It's right there. So anyway. I thought that might be interesting for some of you. I recognize that uh, I got a whole other fight to review or preview. I keep getting those mixed up today. I am just all over the place. All right. Uh, super chat, super chat. Did I miss any? Sam A with another one. He says, Carlos Monson was 79 and 0, 11, over an 11 year period. Cabbies. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, Monson beat some very good fighters. And then there were some fighters in there that weren't very good, right? If you look at the resume, there's a lot of zero star or one stars there on box record. You pull up the record, but he was fighting a lot. You know, guys back then fought a lot. So I don't mind seeing those types of fights in between, you know, top dogs. Uh, some people do overrate Carlos Monson a little bit. I, for me, for me, is a top five middleweight of all time, but some people rate him number one. I don't know if I'm going to put him number one. Not the best guy outside of the ring either. Not that that matters when you're rating someone, but I'm just saying, um, yeah, complicated person, complicated person. Another one from Sam. Thank you so much. It says, even Bob Sheridan can't make Haney Cambosa's exciting. Yeah. You know, listen, I look at that matchup and I ask myself, who can do better in the rematch? And I know a lot of people are saying Cambosos can do more in the rematch. You know who I actually expect more from in the rematch? Devin Haney. I want to see more from him. If it's the same thing, if it's an absolute replay of the first fight, except maybe Cambosos wins another round or so this time, it's still a W for Haney. Absolutely. But I'm not going to say it's a moral defeat. I'm trying to, I'm struggling to find the right words to describe it. I just would say it'd kind of be a, a momentum staller. He, I want to see him show even more and step up another level. And if he could actually stop Cambosos this time, make a statement like that, I think that'd be big. 
Twal makes a really good point here. Uh, and this is the dark side of what I was just talking about with Jay. He says that uh, the guys who are marketing themselves via social media are the ones who don't want to fight anyone. I get what you, I get where you're going with that. And I, and I agree to a certain extent. Here's what I'll say. That isn't what I was talking about though. Okay. What I'm saying is imagine a fighter that fights often, maybe one fight a year is against an elite opponent with three or four are against a mid-level opponent, but they're fighting four times a year, right? Um, and they're marketing themselves, but actually getting in the ring and fighting. They can't fight an elite opponent every single time, but maybe they're getting in there two, three times a year against a mid-level opponent, and that's on regular zone or whatever it is. And then once a year, they're getting in there against an elite opponent, and it's a pay-per-view. Um, I'm not saying $80 pay-per-view. I'm saying, you know, whack that in half or something. I'm just talking in the future, Okay. If that's kind of the, the setup that we have with a, st a star fighter, I think that would be preferable in the new world, the way media works now. I think that would be preferable. Um, I'm not talking about the guy doing the Twitter call out because to me, that's not marketing yourself. I mean, like right now what Tyson Fury is doing, he's calling out Anthony Joshua's. He's got this thing with Manuel Char going. He's not even mentioning uh, Usyk. It's just bizarre. He's called out like a bunch of people. He retires. He unretires. To me, that's not marketing himself. That's just making everybody annoyed by you. Some people love it. Some people absolutely love it. But most people um, are annoyed by it, right? So that's not marketing yourself. I think there are ways to do this differently. But boxers need a professional around to like coach them on this stuff. That's what the guys in the NBA, NFL, that's what they get. There, there's all these agents and, and people to coach them on how all this stuff works. And boxers really don't have that. A couple young guys do. A couple young guys hire P, uh, PR people, but uh, most of them don't. Carlos Cabrera uh, said, damn, Brandon Figueroa got busted for a DUI. Hope he doesn't follow Omar's path. Yeah, I saw that. Brandon Figueroa this weekend, DUI. It listed his weight, though, is 130, so he's, he's, he's you know staying on weight. But um, them Figueroa boys love to drink love to drink um there's notorious stories particularly about omar but all the figueroa brothers them boys like to drink so um yeah <laughs> okay i still haven't previewed this fight let's do it chris eubank versus connor ben 12 rounds 157 pounds so this is the catch weight of 157 the rehydration clause as i understand it is that um, they could only rehydrate five pounds, which means that Chris Eubank will be no more than 162 on the morning of the fight. Now, I don't think um, they're going to weigh him walking to the ring. So I think this is literally the, um, the morning after the weigh-in, I should say. Morning of the fight. So I want to pull this up because I want to make sure I get this right. I believe we've talked about this here on the show before, but I want to pull up Chris Eubank Jr.'s box rack and we'll look at this together. Okay. Let me share my screen again because I want to look at the weights that he has fought at because obviously this is relevant. So uh, his last fight against Liam Williams, he was 159. We'll go back 162, 161, 159, 166. I want to see if he's ever had to weigh in at 157. He has weighed, he was 158 back in 2016. 157. He was 157 back in 2014. So you're going back eight years. Okay. 
literally almost eight years to the day. He did weigh in at 157. So he has made 157 before, but it has been nearly a decade. It is worth mentioning, though, that in his very last fight, oh, this just changed. What the hell? Oh, I read it wrong. I'm sorry, guys. His very last fight against um, Liam Williams, he was 160. I'm sorry. And you know what? I think I was reading the wrong column the whole damn way. I am an idiot. Let me let me start this over. I was looking at the opponent's weight. I have issues. He was 160 in his last fight. So let's continue going back. Back, back, back. He was well, I fought at 168 for a while. 159 and a half a couple times. 158 and a quarter back in 2015. So I'm sorry, 2014. So I do believe that was the lightest weight of his career. Yes, his opponent was 157. Sorry about that. So the lowest Chris Eubank Jr. has ever weighed in was 158 and a quarter. That was eight years ago, almost to the day. That was October 25th, 2014, okay? Um, so he's never weighed 157. So that is interesting. Also, the rehydration. Eubank blows up after he weighs in, right? He gains, he's one of those guys that gains like 15 pounds. He's only going to be allowed to gain five pounds till the next morning. Now, once again, I, I believe after the rehydration weigh-in or whatever, the morning of the fight this Saturday, he'll be able to gain some more weight. How much is that weight going to affect him? How much? Because I understand people will say, well, Mike, it's only one extra pound. He's done 159, 158 before. He's got to get down to 157. It's one extra pound. I get it. For, for those of you who have ever competed in any sport where you've had to cut weight in, you know, let's say you got to drop 10 pounds. The first six, seven, eight pounds is relatively easy. It's the last two pounds that suck. And it's the last two pounds that take a lot out of you. It takes a lot of your muscle. It takes a lot of your strength. I know this because I've had to do it. It gets harder to do as you get older. You know, and Eubank is 33, so he's still a, a young guy right in the prime of his athletic, you know, years. Because um, I would say now it's probably what, mid-20s to mid-30s. That is your athletic prime. So, um, and it varies for different people. I got, I got it, guys. I got it. But basically, you know, that that's where it is. So, in theory, yeah, he could, he could drop down, but that extra pound. But even more than that, it's the rehydration thing. I do wonder how much that's is gonna that's gonna affect him. Um, I see Hamed in the chat. He says uh, this garbage fight is thirty pounds on pay per view here. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. That really feels like a manipulation. That's the zone, right, Hamed? I think it's it's the zone for you guys as well over there. I do believe it's matchroom. The uh, zone, you know, with these pay per views, man. Uh, at least it's thirty pounds and not like fifty pounds or something. But uh, Ro knows in the chat says, um, he said, Eddie said the rehydration was 10 pounds today. Okay, that's different than what I heard. Interesting. <laughs> Rose also asks, uh, any updates on the sister, though? Yeah. The sister, let's, uh, let's look her up. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's pull her up and share her. Uh, let's share the screen there. There are some very good-looking boxing sisters. There's a handful of them there. Let's see. I'm trying to find a good photo here. The Sun. This is a good source, right? 
Uh, no, I can't find it. Who? Oh, you know who? Would, I'm thinking of James DeGale's sister. James DeGale's sister. She was freaking hot. Uh, all right. All right, yeah, so it's free here in the U.S., but it's pay-per-view over there in the U.K. Um, let's talk about some of these intangibles. So, look, um, the weight is one thing. Eubank, 5'11", 72-inch reach, has fought as high as 168, never been stopped, never been dropped, I do believe, right? He's never been seriously hurt. He's never been hurt badly. I, he might have been wobbled or whatever. He's been cut, but I don't think he's been down. Certainly hasn't been out. Now, Connor Ben. Let's bring him up. Again, we had what, 5'11", 72? Connor Ben's 5'8". He's a little dude. He's a little dude, um, compact and explosive and everything, but he's a little dude. He is younger, but um, he has fought his entire career right around 147. Um, so I'm just looking at his resume, and he does have some good fights, you know, Fighting guys like um, even Sebastian Formella, Samuel Vargas, Adrian Ganados, Chris Algieri, even Chris Van Heerden. Those are good, experienced, quality prize fighters. I don't know if they necessarily prepare him for Eubank, though. You know, I, I want, guys, I really want to pick Ben in this fight. I want to just be an idiot and pick Ben and... um Go for the upset because I haven't in a while. But the size, the size of um, Eubank, I just can't get past it, man. Oh, Nacho with a good chat. Yo, Omira uh, Figueroa is very attractive. She shows up at Brandon's fights. But yeah, that might be the best looking boxing sister. You know, I'm going to go pull her up. I don't give a shit. Let's see. Uh... I can't spell right now. I'm going to have to pull. You know what? I'm just going to pull up her Instagram. Why the hell not? Why not? You know why? I Because I can. That's why I'm going to do it. Check this out. We're going to have a little fun on the show. For those of you listening on audio, too bad. Yeah, here we go. Just for you, Nacho, since, since you brought it up. <laughs> here's, here's the Instagram. All right. Let's see. Um. Yeah, that works. That's a beautiful scene right there. And that's beautiful scenery. Where is that? I wonder. Hmm. That looks nice. Nice mountains in the background. Oh, who the who the hell is this in this picture? What the hell is that crap? Get that out of here. Yeah. All right. Wow. Well, she's having a good time there. She's having fun at that concert, whatever it is. Here we go. Here's the picture we all wanted. All right, I'm just going to leave that there while we continue talking. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, guys, my official prediction here, I, I, we talk about, like, size in fights, right? You talk about Canelo Alvarez fighting um, Amir Khan. People brought that one up. Gennady Golovkin fighting Kell Brook. Then you bring up Errol Spence fighting Mikey Garcia, right? You bring all that up, and, and I get it. But there's also a time when Canelo Alvarez fought Caleb Plant. Canelo Alvarez fought Callum Smith, right? We have seen smaller guys fight bigger guys and do very well. Now, that's Canelo Alvarez. And I'm not trying to compare Canelo Alvarez to Conor Ben. But in terms of actual boxing skill, 
Is Chris Eubank Jr. better or is Connor Ben better? I got to go Connor Ben. I think Connor Ben's actually the better boxer here. The only thing is chin. Eubank has shown maybe his best asset is a good chin, you know? Um, and I just don't think Ben can hurt him. So I got to go with Eubank in this fight. And I don't know why. I don't know why Ben wants this fight. I don't know why his people want this fight other than welterweight is pretty loaded right now, especially at the top. And I don't think Ben and his people are very confident going up against the likes of, well, let's, you know, you guys know Crawford and Spence, but then like the, uh, the young guns like Virgil Ortiz, Boots Ennis, and even like Stanley Onis and guys like that. I don't think Ben and his people feel confident fighting them, but then like, okay, well, let's move up to 54. Well, look who's at 54. You know, at the very, very top again, you got Charlo, but then under that, you've got Sebastian Fundora. Do you think Ben wants to fight him? Do you think he wants to fight um, Tim Zhu? I don't think so. So I think this is a way for them to get a huge career high payday in a fight where they have a chance of winning. I think they feel that they have a better chance of beating Eubank than the other guys I just mentioned. So I think that's the, like the logic behind this, but I got to go with size, man. I got to go. And I, again, a great example, Alexander Usyk, Anthony Joshua, right? But is Ben Alexander Usyk? Uh, nah. So um, unless there's levels to Ben that we haven't seen yet, you know, uh, you got to go with Chris Eubank Jr. here in this fight. Okay, that's the review. <clears throat> that's the review. Let me... Uh, Get this uh, then we'll get back to some phone calls. Let's do some calls here real quick. All right. Well, we got a bunch. Man, I hope I can get to all these. We have to keep it quick, guys. Let's uh let's bring on Brian. What's up? How you doing, BLT? Long time no speak, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. I keep missing. Man. I'm like, oh shit, he was on. But then you had that weird week where you was on like Wednesday or something. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? But anyway. <laughs> anyway, yo, Fundora all the way. I like his I just like his energy, man. When you was interviewing him, I was feeling that shit. I Fundora. I don't know about Ocampo, I really don't know nothing about him, but it's Fundora. Yo, you know what Ben and, and you banks are fighting? Because they pops, man. I just watched the pops fight. <laughs> the yeah. senior fight, yeah. it's gonna go the same fucking way. Watch. It's gonna go the same fucking way, man. And that's it, bro. I'm that's done. It. <laughs> You're done. Hey, wow, man. Half short, twice strong. Damn, BLT repping today, man. Yo, man. Yo, man, I don't play. <laughs> yeah, I don't play. I ain't got time for no conversation. Yo, I got what I got to say. Boom, boom, boom. That's it. I, I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> Yo, man. You know how it go. Hey, how's the wife? How's all, everything going, man? She's doing good, man. She's she's over it. She wants the baby yeah. out. She, she's like, get this yeah, thing out of me. We got like three more weeks, man. I know. I know. Yeah. All right. Hey, man. All good thoughts for you, man, and all that good stuff. I got a boy and a girl, so now all you got to do is get the boy. You done? All right. Cool. <laughs> well, I'll work on it soon, man. <laughs> ah, you a little hurt, though, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. All right, Mike. I'm all out. Right. Peace, Brian, man. Peace, man. All right. There you go. Kid. BLT, man. We haven't had him on the show in a minute. Uh, man, you know, while, while I go through these calls, I'm just going to scroll through uh, 
Abira's picks. Are you guys cool with that? Okay. Well, we continue to do calls here. Let's go to um, 559. You're on the show. What's up? <clears throat> Excuse me. What's up, Mike? It's me, Miguel, bro. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, good. Thank you for uh, for luckily picking me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, call in last show. I was a little busy, bro. Sorry, but anywho, uh, happy birthday to your brother. He's very proud of you. You know what I mean? Uh, God bless you too. Thank you for all the hard work you're putting in. And, um, I just want to catch up on a couple of things that I missed out on this, uh, this, uh, this juggernaut guy, this, uh, this Joy Joyce. Yeah. Man, he, uh, he, uh, he really, uh, caught my attention and, I mean, I'm not like the the best, you know, at, at watching fights and as far as like breaking them down, this and that. But I, I have a good eye, I think. And uh, yeah, this guy's a problem for anybody. I I first seen him when um, when Usyk took him to school, and then after that, uh, we uh, we destroyed um, the other British dude. What's his name? Uh, Danny Dubois. Remember, he broke his orbital. Yeah, Danny yeah. Dubois. There you go, Dubois. Yeah, the, the other destructive dude and this was kind of like uh when joshua was still reigning so you know he kind of, he kind of figured okay it's all about the big guys now and out of all these big dudes who has the most technique and speed you know and it's been it's been mad it's been uh tight to serious as we can all see but you know it, 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 this reminds you you don't always need speed to win a fight this, this guy like you said has an awkward um when he catches momentum and when he starts using his weight Especially the way he fights. Well, first of all, the way he's he's actually progressed and the the skills he's actually acquired, that's a whole nother talk in itself. He's learned how to jab to the body. He's learned how to block better. He's not as stiff as he used to be at all. He's more fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, his muscles have really built in more because the more you go pro, the more your your body, you know, gets solid. Uh, someone said that his bones are are usually or by by scientific definition are larger than. Most yeah, they're like guys, even his dog. Apparently, nah, well, you know, hey, they're hey, like six hey, times. It sounds thick. crazy. Yeah, that's that's what yeah. Hey, it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy, but I've actually I've met a lot of people that you know you can you don't need to have a microscope, dude. Their bones are thicker than others. Like the way his even his way he's the way even his face is proportioned. This guy is literally that's the most fitting name in boxing right now. He literally is the juggernaut, dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's this guy that can take your best shot. Um, shots out to Joseph Parker, the way he's setting up his masterful uh, shots to the body uh, with pure power sitting on the floor, and then he'll, he'll go back to the jab and box in a circle, pounce back out from the corner, and actually win rounds. Dude. Like, he, must, he was half the guy he was years ago. We got to remember, this guy was once one of the guys that fought for Joshua for the gold, you know? So, mm-hmm. And he went to distance with him. He was actually one of the fastest heavyweights considered at the time. Usyk wasn't even around. Tyson Fury was still in exile. So this guy's a real veteran. Uh, to me, like you said, perfect matchmaking. Um, he passed the test by all colors, and he got put under pressure. I, I haven't seen a heavyweight yet that can take a punch in our modern era that can take a punch like him and not even blink, Michael. I thought they were joking around, but they were. I had to rewind it. Just, and he just guy, walks, um, he walks the, the right through him, man. Dude, he ate him on the chin, and, yeah. and Parker yeah. was mesmerized. Like, you could tell. I mean, come on. You don't come across a guy ever when you give him your – and especially heavyweights. I'm a heavyweight. I, I box dudes bigger than me, you know, and 
to take a shot like that, you know, I, I probably would have to take a knee, dude. Like that, that was vicious, and he could took him over and over. And what that does to your opponent is it, it just really discourages him. I don't think Parker actually got tired, and his second win kicked in pretty good. I think he just got discouraged. And on top of that, what happened in the eleventh round? If someone wants to be successful in this sport, if someone wants to catch attention, if someone wants to actually make money, Joe Joyce, eleventh round against Joseph Parker. I had to rewind it like three or four times and I try to count the punches as accurate and the estimation is this from the bell. And when I say from the bell, you don't see this no more. And you got you got you got guys like Philip Herzovich and Zhang and all these big ass dudes that yeah, they're getting each other, but they're playing catch and shoot. You don't see a guy rushing and, and risking emptying his gas tank to get this guy out of there, you know what I mean? Because yeah. he's confident in his skills and his punches. You don't see that no more. And out of all the people, out of all the people that talk that that are talked down on, especially in the heavyweight boxing division, Joe Joyce was the last person I thought I was gonna do that. Dude, he he punched it like his life depended on it, and he landed. He uh, he he. I don't know how much he he landed, but he, it was the majority that he did land. So, it was, but I counted about that. These are the punches he threw for the bell, and he didn't. He, it's not like he sat there and and tried to jab. No, he 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 damn near ran through his opponent. The right way in the boxing stance, and he kept throwing. He landed, a, excuse me, through about forty to fifty punches, Mike. For a heavyweight that late in the fight, I, that, that's that's good, yeah. dude. Not even for not even for not even for heavy heavyweight. We we've been talking about this for like this past year or two already. Even these lower divisions, none of these guys press the gas no more. Yeah, none of them. You know, especially especially in a championship fight, dude. I mean, we got we got guys like Devin Haney getting praised. And yeah, it was it was because he beat the guy that that was uh, the the boogeyman, whatever. But dude, he won it off running. What else did we have um, um, with because uh, uh, we we're talking about Crawford? I can make an example about him. Uh, yeah, he got the finish, but you carried the fight. You could have had him out of the first time you knocked him down, then the next round you did it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you guys carry fights, and you know, to me. Heavyweight division, especially right now, Joe Joyce and his team are experts. They knew they couldn't afford to go to the twelfth round, go to the card, and even win. Even if he wins, I'm like, ah, oh, well, he beat up a old washed up Joseph Parker. You already know what everyone was gonna say, but since he exploded like this and he showed such a defining moment, this guy's the next thing, you know. But hey, I don't know who's gonna fight him, so I don't know. I just want to recap on that because it, it, to me, it was, I mean, I'm gonna use the word. I don't really use it. But today, in today's modern era, where everyone's less of what they should actually be, what the potential is, especially because of egotistical factors and whatnot, this was an amazing performance. I haven't seen such a good heavyweight fight in a long time, and we're in the wild their fury age, where supposedly that's the best. And nah, dude, I got this guy stopping both those guys in yeah. ten rounds. I'm even saying it against Fury, wow. and I'm even saying it against Fury because I'm gonna tell you. I'm going to tell you what, look, once again, it's not just because he threw punches. At the end of the day, I'm not the best guy at this, but you know what? I'm I'm pretty good at this, dude, and especially when it comes to watching it and breaking down how punches are thrown. You got this gigantic 200-something-pound man, Joe Joey, six-foot-something, I don't know, literally fisting, and he looks terrifying. He doesn't look like a little nice guy like Golovkin or these other dudes. He looks mean, dude, because he is. He was... He was setting his foot down the right way, throwing overhand right, Michael. When he and he was holding back the whole fight because he knew this guy was too good. He had to wait. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, the way to get to yeah, there runs because George, there. George You can see him thinking. You can see him thinking. Yeah, he, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, when you have a guy, you know, like Joseph Parker in front of you that knows how to throw flick jabs and, and power jabs and knows distance and knows how to pounce at you and then move out the way right after, man, you got to wait because you're going to get knocked out mm-hmm. if you don't. So he did, and he did the right thing. And right when you think it was going to get boring, like these other fights, like I said, he he he, he set the punches right in his, in his own way. I mean... It kind of reminded me of Larry Holmes, dude, when he'll go for the finish. Yeah. I'm serious, and, and I was very impressed because you don't see these other guys doing that. You don't. You either see battle, battles of attrition, like Wilder and Fury, or these big-ass dudes like Philip Hergovich and these other guys saying that just don't want to punch the gas. Why are you guys waiting? This is heavyweight boxing on top of that. You know, it's like... Like, it goes back to what this other guy was saying, man... Um, Oh, what you were saying, actually, uh, it, it, you got to roll with the times. Yeah, you can make money and everything, but I, I'm going to say it. You know, if nobody wants to say, oh, man, fuck the money. These guys weren't even getting paid that much, to be honest, compared to these other guys. And and, and look what look what they gave. Once again, shout out to Joseph Parker. We can st- You can still learn lessons, not just from Joe Joyce, but from Parker, too. You know what I mean? This guy is really, really good, and he gave all he can at a late age. Shout out to him. I hope he retires to his country and enjoys his paycheck. And that'll be it for me, Michael. Um, thank you for having me on the show. It's just, uh, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks a lot, Miguel. Yeah, for sure. All right, peace, man. All right, let's go to, um, let's go to France. Then we got Johnny on here. Hey, Mike. Hey, what's up, Johnny? Hey, Mike. Hey. Um, okay, very good. How are you? You seem to be a father, man. You seem to be a father, I heard. Right, you saw huh? Mike. Yeah. You you are soon to be a father. Yes, sir. Sorry. Yes, sir. You have a daughter, I heard. Yes, sir. Uh, good, good luck to you, Marcel man. Thank uh, you. It's great. It's, it's great. It's great. You know, and uh, I have to say, I have, uh, like, um, you have a caller, I have a son and a daughter, and, this, uh, and the son is the elder. But you really get to get uh, to be a father when you have a daughter, because... Uh, the relationship with the daughter is, uh, is so different. It's, uh, it's amazing. So really, uh, myself well to you, Mike. Uh, I didn't have the equation to mention it and to say to you, to say it to you. So myself well and and uh, it's good for you. I'm very happy for you. Thank uh, you. <clears throat> so uh, just a few words about the Conor Ben uh, Chris Eubank fight. And uh, just one question, Mike. Do you know when was the last um, uh, KO for Chris Eubank? Good question. Let's check. Let's check. Well, I'll tell you. It's uh, 2019. It's Night V Kobarov. And before that? Korobov, yeah. He beat Korobov in 2019. And then before that, it was... Well, there was a retirement win against J.J. McDonough, but that wasn't really a knockout. It was what Avni uh, Yildirim, right? Well, before that, exactly. Yeah, and back in the World Boxing Series. So the guy, right now, what I do see about uh, Chris Eubank Jr. is a guy. He's got skills. He's got speed. He's got a bit of power, but he's not uh, taking it uh, seriously. And the problem with uh, with with him is. Uh, Mostly his family because his father is crazy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> basically, 
and just get to strange uh, relationship with his father also. So uh, maybe that uh, his father wanted to take him uh, to to take him out from the fight because of the weight uh, issues, because of the weight uh, of uh, one fifty-seven. He doesn't didn't want his son to fight at the solo weight at the weight solo. So he's got a strange um, behavior. So he's not taking it uh, very seriously. And and the last fight he, he had. Uh, the last one was uh, Liam Williams. Do you remember this fight? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, it, it, it put him down uh, re- several times, but uh, he would not deliver. And when you, you're on the top game, you're supposed to be among the top five middleweight. You have to take him out of here. Yeah, you, you that's a good point. Show. You, you, you claim to, to, be, to be, you know, boxing at the highest level. And uh, also, he, he fought the washed uh, Jim Tegel, and he couldn't get him, would not want to, to, to get him out of there. And uh, anytime he gets into um, a guy with skills, just like uh, George Groves, you know, guys like this, uh, he, doesn't, uh, he, he doesn't have what it gets to, 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 to climb to the occasion. No, he goes to Groves. He goes to to um, Sanders. To Sanders to fighters, yeah. but like not uh, the you know, not like a no Canelo, you know. And um, on the other hand, Conor Ben, um, what uh, what people, uh, what I see in him is that he gets people out of there, you know. He takes care of the business. He gets them all of there in a two of them. He stops them in a two rounds, three rounds. The job's done. It's very relentless, and he, he, mix, he mixes it a lot. You know, he throws a lot of um, of hooks, and uh, when he gets uh, changing, he change uh, changes angles, and he, he lands an uppercut from in the middle. It's very dangerous. It's very, you know, you get a great variety of those also. So, I would, I will go with the fighter. I will go with the better fighter, even though, uh, yeah, the size. The size difference is so you're picking Ben. But, uh, you think Ben's gonna win? Yeah, I'm picking Ben by decision. I'm going with the fighter. No, I think um, might be decision, might be stoppage also because I could see a stoppage actually by Ben. Wow, that would be oh, that'd be big. Even though, yeah, that'd be very big. But uh, even though you know, uh, I see, I see same not the same qualities, but I see. Uh, a good lot of qualities in 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 Conor Ben. He's good. He's a good finisher. He's relentless. He's accurate. He's got a good variety of blows, and he takes things uh, more seriously than a than a Banks. But the problem is, his father was more or less the same sort of character, and he, <laughs> he ended up losing to 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 Banks' father. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I wonder about the emotional load for them, for him especially, because uh, yeah. he seems to be very much involved in the family legacy at that uh, level, and uh, his father also is involved. But in a better way, in a more constructive way. Uh, I, I rather like um, more, you know, um, Nigel Dan than Christian Chino. I think most thing. people do. And yeah, yeah. I, I do think it's fun. It, it's a fun. Yeah, it's it's fun just seeing the two fathers in the corners, and I think it's going to make it for a fun event. It's not. I, I don't think either fighter is like a top 
five fighter, you know, or like a, an elite level fighter, but it's a fun domestic level kind of fight. <clears throat> well, uh, I saw in books like that uh, Chris Eubank Jr. is supposed to be considered for the middleweight that's world level. I think it's a bit uh, overrated. Yeah, it's I agree with you. Overrated. I agree with you. And, uh, and uh, Chris Eubank, and, um, and Conor Ben should be the, the ninth. But one thing about Conor uh, Ben is that uh, he's used to be the smaller guy. When you see his last fight, yeah, even uh, at the uh, welterweight at one forty-seven, he was already in the, the yeah against like Algeri. Those guys were taller. Yeah, but it just I've just never so, seen um, you get uh, hurt. Recent... That's the only thing for me. But uh, uh, never did I. But uh, I, I did see him in, in the. I didn't see him with um, very aggressive fighter. You know. Yeah. Uh, Billy Justin does. He's not very heavy-handed. And uh, Josh Groves uh, was already uh, faded. That's, back a, that's a good point. With, uh, uh, but because uh, Chris Conoben's got a, a good, good lot of uh, power. And also, throws benches. Throws benches. Yeah. I, I look at that uh, repeatedly. He throws benches, you know. Uh, he said for various hooks, right, right hook, left hook, upper kit in the middle, changes the angles, uh, throws a uh, straight right, you know. Is it? It's a pretty versatile. So I'm going with Ben being the better fighter. I'm going with the idea that um, I've seen Chris Bank not doing enough to stop uh, his opponent. And maybe maybe he has a, a better a better start of the fight. Maybe he'll be able to 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 to, to get a few knockdowns, knockdowns. But then on the long run. Um, I think uh, he's too lazy, so he's gonna get too lazy, and he could, uh, could uh, you know, be like Johnny. Big you're on the record. Color. You're on the record, and we'll we'll find out. I gotta move on to the next call, but um, thank you, Mike. See you again. That's a talk for you and your family. And, thank you, sir. Uh, until next time, see you. Okay. Bye. 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 Uh, we got uh, Joe checking in the chat. He says Dan Raphael claims he fought Golden Gloves. Does anyone know if that's true? I'm not even going to read some of the replies to that. You guys are fucking bad. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, let's go to Thad on the line here. <clears throat> Thad, what's up, bro? How you doing, man? <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm like rolling over that last comment. Um, did he say if Dan Raphael fought at, uh, fought at Golden Gloves or? Someone, well, I mean, someone's just trolling. They just said that uh, he claims he fought oh, Golden okay. Gloves, was... and then some of the responses are fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd have to say the first thing that came to my mind was that yeah, he fought the the buffet at Golden Corral, maybe. Oh, you, or, you know, uh, a couple people said Golden that. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, yeah that's couple... the first thing that came to my mind. Uh... So yeah, great minds think alike. But listen, my God, just give me three minutes of your time and, and your listeners' time here. I I just want to put this out there i'm glad breadman edwards uh made that article with golovkin finally giving the guy credit that people never really truly saw his prime because it was over in germany that's what he said and that's the truth and also that if Hagler were like triple g it's it's like him fighting michael nunn james tony um chris eubank and nigel ben exactly you know at his later later stages he retired at 32 or 33 and, and Golovkin was just hitting his stride at that age in America. So 
let's let's put it in perspective. I mean, the guy was an all-time great, and he's fighting, you know, great fighters at an advanced age. And I know Hopkins did, but it was a different circumstance. Okay, we don't have to get into that. But I'm glad to see finally somebody gave Golovkin, you know, some uh, some credit and and put the truth out there. Like, hey, these guys didn't want to fight him when he was young, and he had to fight the greats, you know, in his later years. And still, truly, he really hasn't, you know, been been beaten up or 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 taken a bad loss. Everything's been, you right. know, pretty much like head to head. So, with that being said, Mike. Um, there's a lot of videos out about PBC when they first came out like seven years ago and it broke down the contract, the PBC contract. There are some guys uh, with YouTube channels, one in America and one in England. I'm not going to name them if you don't want me to, but they're, they're decent channels. Um, the one in England was from three years ago. He broke it down. And the one from America was seven years ago. And the, the, the basic gist was that would you sign a contract with this PBC? The one guy called it literally a slave contract. If you go on Google or go online and YouTube, if you go, like just put in that keyword search, you'll come up Al Heyman at PBC. And then in America, uh, he went right through the contract. And let me tell you, it's not Spence's fault. All right. Al Heyman is the one that's calling the shots. The fighters at PBC, they have no autonomy. They have no ability to make the fights that they want. They could review uh, the fights with Heyman and, and the top uh, brass at PBC. And if they okay it, then they could do it. But if they nix it, they can nix it. And that's why we saw Luis Ortiz not fight AJ for record money, free undisputed. They're not undisputed, but unified heavyweight championship mm-hmm. and a multitude of other fights. Um, that's why they, it, PBC fighters are employees. They're controlled. All right, they're basically cattle. They're not independent contractors like normal fighters are. That's why Terence Crawford is not getting this fight right now. He's not an employee of PBC. He's an independent contractor. He wants he wants to have all this out in the open. He's not going to get it. Not with PBC's contract. Al Heyman is not going to um, show light on his business practices because he'll have to do that with a a non-employee. So until Terrence Crawford actually signs a PBC contract, I really don't see this fight happening, Mike. That's the bottom line. It's not Spence. It's it's always been Heyman. It's always been those guys. And clues are out there with Tim Smith, who was honest. He said, hey, <laughs> we're not going to lowball this guy and insult him because there's no money for this fight. And he's right. The reason why is because he alluded to the fact the fan bases aren't going to buy the fight. They're going to steal the fight. He's basically saying that the demographic that watches Crawford and Spence are not paying for fights. And that is why we saw Spence fighting Mikey Garcia on pay-per-view as a Latino, um, where, where the audience was the Latino audience, which actually do buy the pay-per-views. And this isn't me saying that. That's them saying that. That's what they basically said, and, and the numbers reflect it. The Latino audience is the number one purchasers of pay-per-view in America. So, and that's another reason why the fight's not happening. And if anybody wants to, you know, cry over this fight, hey, look in the mirror. You know, it's the fan base's fault, and it's the people that worship Al Heyman. And a lot of people around the uh, the boxing 
industry has said over and over, Al Heyman's a cancer to the sport. The guy is a control freak and he has history with the hip hop industry. He actually had to go to court to let Beyonce out of her contract. He wouldn't allow her to do what she wanted to do on her own. And that's when she became a big star after she left Al Heyman. And that's why you saw for Jay-Z, they never did any business. Like there's bad blood between the two parties. So for all these people saying Al Heyman is his golden goose and, you know, he's, he's really not. He's just a con artist who knows certain demographics and how to take advantage. So if you really want the truth, it's online. You can go and look it up and get all your answers because all this back and forth chatter, left and right. Yeah, it's great for channels, uh, clicks and stuff, but it's, it's, it's not, you know, the dead on facts. The facts are out there. Okay. People want them. They can find out. Stop making excuses. This is why PBC has blocked fights over the years. Adonna Stevenson versus Kovalev was the first one. And then work your way on down. So, Mike, I'll leave you with that. I'll leave. Hopefully, your audience will uh, do some research and, and find out the, the contracts are, are basically, um, you know, employee to uh, CEO. That's really what it comes down to. So. Have a good night, man. All right, bro. Thanks a lot, Dad. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I will say there is, um, I talked about this on my Friday show. I'll mention it real, real quick, and then we'll get Nacho's call. Nacho's on deck. Um, was it Floyd Schofield and his father? Prospect, um, young prospect, really looks like a blue chipper. Definitely going to um, attract, he's attracting a lot of attention from American promoters. And they, him and his father were asked about PBC and they kind of laughed and they just said that the contract that we were offered, no, because he basically talked about the fact that they had no say um, in uh, several things, several factors. And this is something that we've heard from a lot of different people, a lot of different times. Um, there are exceptions, of course. There are some guys that sign with PBC and do get different kinds of privileges because of the level of stardom that they're at. But Manny Pacquiao signed with PBC. He's Manny Pacquiao. He's going to do what he's going to do. And then there's other guys that sign with PBC, uh, lower and mid-level fighters that have different kinds of deals. But if you look at the guys that sign with PBC from um, from the beginning of their career, like coming out of the amateurs all the way up until the end. So take a guy like Errol Spence. Uh, and there's other guys we can point to as well. Deontay Wilder, for example. And you just look at kind of the way the career has been managed and the lack of transparency in certain respects. Um, it is interesting. You know, it is interesting. <clears throat> All right. Back to the phones we go. Let's go to Nacho in California. What's up, Nacho? How you doing, man? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Nothing much. Um, just uh, kind of wanted to say uh, to the chat, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> I definitely will take the bullet. I will take the bullet for Mike as far as putting uh, her IG Omira's IG on on his uh, channel and and saying I asked for it. <laughs> yeah, man, so that was. I'll uh, gladly take the bullet. This, that, that was fun. I gotta say, time. maybe we should do that again. We could, we you know, maybe uh, we'll do that again because that was fun, man. <clears throat> <laughs> All right, um, just uh, about the uh, the fights um, this weekend. Uh, yeah, Eubank Ben, I kind of agree with you, Mike. It's not really a fight that 
to me is going to lead anywhere. I think this is just a, a money grab for both guys, plain and simple, because of the names that and the history behind those names. And I think both guys are just taking this as just a payday for themselves because that's really all it is because neither guy is going to be catapulted from this fight into a title shot or even into another big fight per se, you know? So it's just kind of a money grab. And I think a lot of people see this fight for what it is. And I don't think anybody's really taking it serious. I mean, honestly, to me, the biggest question is, will Eubank be able to go more than six rounds before he's dead tired? Because I'm not convinced that he's going to be able to make 57 and not feel like he left a part of himself just trying to get to 157. Right. I mean, if anything, that's a smart tactical move by Ben and his team to force him to have to squeeze down that one extra pound because I think 58, I don't think would have been as big of a, of a reach, but I think 57 is kind of a reach for Eubank. Although I'm wondering though, Mike, is it really a troll job by Eubank and his team? As far as him putting out those videos where he's basically eating junk food and pretending like it's not going to be a big deal to get weight, to get to weight. Or is he really able to cut weight that easily that he can eat junk food and it's no big deal? It's got to be. I mean, I'm kind of wondering about that. That's got to be trolling. Because that's the thing. In the video, is he really eating that shit? Like he might have a bite or something, but do you see him like eat the whole thing? Like I haven't seen that video yet. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking. It's like, okay, you can take a bite out of it, but you're not showing yourself eating the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? So I could definitely, yeah, it could definitely be a a troll job for sure. Um, You know, and then uh, with the other fight, the Showtime card, um, I think Fundora is going to walk through a campo. I know Ocampo has been kind of on a winning streak and they're kind of selling him as like, you know, ever since he lost Spence, he's been winning. But if you look at his ledger, Mike, a lot of the guys he beat are not exactly world beaters at 54. He's just been kind of collecting like these wins from these like, you know, very unknown guys that he's been fighting. So I don't expect him to be able to really be competitive. I think Fundora just kind of is using this as a stay busy fight. And I think he's going to go in there, and he probably gets him out of there in probably seven or eight. I don't see Ocampo going anything further than that. Um, The fight that is kind of interesting, but I don't know if they're going to televise it, is the the, uh, uh, Fox versus uh, Mean Machine fight. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see what Mean Machine looks like at 54 because he's never fought above 47, so I'm wondering, is he going to get a second... uh, Least on life fighting at 54 now, but I mean, Fox is a huge guy for that weight class. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering if this isn't being, isn't being used as like a possible next opponent for Fundora, considering that, you know, he's a huge guy for that weight class and maybe they don't want to give him. Yeah. Maybe they don't want to give Fundora, um, a top, you know, three or four guy from the PVC side. You know, maybe they use Fox as the next guy by showcasing him against uh, Mean Machine. Uh, uh, that's going to be an interesting fight. I'm curious to see how both guys perform and see if one, if Fox especially would be, you know, used as an opponent uh, for Fundora, um, you know, uh, in his next fight or whenever it is that he fights uh, next. Um, and then uh, 
I just kind of wanted to just, uh, bring up the the whole uh, Garcia Tank thing, Mike. Um, I, I don't see that fight ever happening. Like, it's funny how everybody's so into these social media back and forth between these two guys. Like, they really think they're going to see this fight. I just don't think the fight happens because at this point, I mean, Tank is at his peak as far as his ability to get the most out of his uh, talent. And yet they're still reluctant to make the fight against a uh, 23 or yeah, 24-year-old Ryan Garcia who still hasn't hit his peak. So I would have thought that Mayweather for sure would have said, okay, let's go ahead and make the fight now mm-hmm. before he gets any better. And if Ryan Garcia gets better in the next year or two, are they really going to be all that motivated to make the fight at that point? I, I don't see it. I think they're just kind of using each other's names to kind of, you know, try to basically con us into thinking they're going to fight each other. And then they're both just going to pull some random name out of a hat and be like, oh, you know, like, we're going to be like, oh, great. Like, this is who they ended up fighting. So much for that. And then uh, one last thing on the Spence Crawford thing. I I just find it really, really eye-opening, Mike, that, Terrence Crawford has basically agreed to every little stipulation they wanted him to agree to. And all he asked for was honest uh, business practices so that he sees exactly where his money is going to come from. And the fact that the PBC and Heyman have literally said no, that's just a huge eye-opener to me. That makes me question. Kind of exposed him a little bit, right? Yeah, it makes me question. Yeah. It makes me question how much they really want Spence to fight this guy. I mean, why else would you put up all these roadblocks and then the guy agrees to all your roadblocks and then you finally come out with another one that you know he's not going to say, oh, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and do it that way. Like, it's just something fishy. And I'm just wondering if this wasn't their plan all along to see if how far along the road down the road, they could get him to agree, and then eventually something was going to come up to where they would turn around and be like, oh, look, well, we did everything we could. He just didn't want to fight, you know? I, I just find it very, very fishy, to say the least. So, all right, Mike, I'm sure you got other callers. All right, Nacho, thank you for your contribution right, today, bro. Yeah, bro. All right. <laughs> all right, so we got the Omira. The Omira uh, post right there because of Nacho. All right. Um, Yeah, look, man, uh, I think Nacho brings up a great point about that fight between Mean Machine and Michael Fox because I talked about Sebastian Fandora earlier. Fandora said he wants to stay busy, and the winner of that fight would be the perfect level of opponent, I think, for Fandora to fight while he waits for Charlo Zoo. All right, let's go back to the phones here. And uh, and also, yeah, one uh, also a great note by uh, Nacho Crawford's kind of exposed some of the way PBC does business at the highest level and how fights get prevented and why they don't work with others very well. I'm just saying. All right, we got uh, Jack on the line. Jack, what's up, bro? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Um, there's, a few, <laughs> there's a few things I want to say. So first off, sad. Man, he's basically the opposite of fight doctor. He's so hateful. He's like, oh, Heyman, uh, you just come back. You just come back. <laughs> and I know Fad does not like the Al Heyman. That is true. He does not like the Al Heyman. Yeah. You said you met Al Heyman. That's crazy. So what was the interaction? Was he just 
like you said he was calm or something and he, he was really, so uh, like it much. was there was um oh what that citizens bank arena or something it's like in ontario so it's like I don't know, an hour east of LA in the Inland Empire. And there was a PBC show there. I can't remember which one, but I was like backstage interviewing fighters. And I went back in the locker room. I was hanging out with some of the guys. And Al was back there with one of his fighters. And I swear there was paperwork back there. They were signing papers. And uh, dude was like getting gloved up and his medicals and all that. And they were signing papers together. And um, I, I said hi to him. And he said hi to me. And we like, it was literally like, three sentences were exchanged. That was it. But he was there in the room with us. And I introduced myself and he said, hi back. He was nice, but he, he was very, very quiet, very almost timid and shy acting kind of. Well, he's like that. Like, I mean, no one's even like seen him in interviews. So I guess yeah. he's kind of a shy person, but yeah, sad going off saying everyone with CBC is a fucking horrible human being. That's just bullshit. I mean, there's some good people there. Like Brandon Figueroa, I know he's got drunk driving, but he seems like, I know he just got a DUI, but he seems like a nice person. The, and the I Figueroa's know it's are nice, dude. So like Omar, um, yeah. I, I, my wife, uh, me and my wife met Omar in LA and like I took a picture of the two of them together and stuff and he couldn't have been cooler. He was really like, super cool. Um they're fun to hang out with if you like to drink. I'll just say that. They're fun to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you got a picture of the um the sister up there. Hey man, this is the one time I'm not focused on women. Anything boxing. This <laughs> hey, is the one that's time. all that's Why all nacho. Gotta... That's all on nacho. Blame him. Because you want to know what you know what you know what's pretty funny? Um, I sparred one of the best female fighters in Indiana and she was really attractive. And when we sparred like all, and she was wearing like some really tight leggings, you could see her butt. And like, that was the last thing on my mind. Cause I was yeah. sparring her and uh, you ever sparred, a, you ever sparred a girl before? Never, never. The only thing I've done is I've let, um, some girls like punch at me cause they were working on their offense. So I would just play defense. I'd just do drills, but I've, I've never thrown a single punch at a, at a chick. Like I just, there's no way I'm doing that. Why not? I, dude, Sorry, that's my bad. I'm I'm a heavyweight, you know, barely a heavyweight, but still. I need, first of all, if there's a chick that weighs 200 pounds, okay, you know, but I haven't met one yet. At least not a boxer that weighs 200, a female boxer that weighs 200 pounds. But a lot of these girls, man, they're like 130, they're 140. Like, I, I don't spar dudes that size, you know what I mean? We're in a spar eventually. Well, I'm I'm like 180 <laughs> okay. right now. All right. What you don't think we're gonna spar eventually? We'll we'll spar, bro. We'll spar. All right, all right. Uh, and no, nah, but sparring with you that makes me like because you know like everyone like gets nervous with sparring, but me and you we won't go too hard. We'll just get, give each other some work. You know what I mean? But you don't have to. Yeah, I don't want because I'm kind of worried. Like sometimes if I go in with a guy like your size, I sparred a dude 260 once. And the dude tried to rip my head off. And at the end, I didn't even throw any punches because I was so nervous he was going to counter and just, like, rip my head off. So I didn't even – at the end, like, Lambo was like, congratulations, you survived. I'd be like, what the fuck was that? I don't want to just, like, survive. I want to do good. But anyways, um, shit. So earlier you said um, 5'8 is short. Like, you're talking about Nigel Ben. He's a little guy. Hey, five eight. Just because you're like fucking nine foot eleven, bro, doesn't mean that people that are five foot eight are hey, short. My dad's five <laughs> eight, man. My my dad, my mom is tall. I, I look like my mom. My dad's five eight. 
So, you know, I don't, I don't mean, I, okay, I shouldn't have said short. It's not like it's 5'3". All right, I take that back. I apologize. I take that back. Yeah, yeah. Don't hate on our short kings, bro. But uh, I'm like 5'10". <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, short, short kings. Um, <laughs> no, what else I have to say? Oh, yeah, so Nigel Ben uh, or fucking Connor Ben and Chris Eubank. Uh, no, yeah, Junior. Sorry, sorry. I get the names mixed up. So, um, dude, I think it's just a mur- – I didn't know that Eubank Jr. had actually fought at that low before. Dude, I don't see any way that Eubank can lose this. I mean, Ben has shown no chin. And how the hell can he spar with um, – sorry, I've been reading the fucking comments. Mike can spar with Lizzo. <laughs> I saw that. Okay, I will spar, I will spar Lizzo. I will spar Lizzo. By the way, that name – I always yeah. thought her name was Lizzo because in Italian, that's how you'd say that Lizzo. I didn't know it heard that it's you pronounce it Lizzo. So for years I've been calling her Lizzo until someone corrected me recently. I've been sounding like a Italian? moron. You probably speak some Italian. She might. I don't know. I, she Italian, probably loves Italian food. <laughs> she loves every damn food. Oh shit. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> but, um, I didn't know he fought at 157 before. So everyone's saying weight's a big issue. I mean, it will make a difference, but dude, Connor Ben is shit. Like, I remember Steve Kim said something about, no, he tweeted something, and he's like, are you guys ever going to be impressed with Nigel or Connor Ben? And I was like, bro, he can fucking knock Boot Dennis out in the first round, and I still wouldn't be impressed. By the way, this dude fight. Damn. That would never happen, but just, so, I mean, dude, that's like, man, that would never happen. Boots would end him in one round. Oh, God, But yeah. I was saying that, the way, yeah, the way he fights, he's not impressive at all. You know what I mean? Well, Eubank fights crazy too. He he's fundamentally all over the place. He's you know the one thing is he's shown a good chin. You know he's I I've never seen him hurt. So yeah. Um, oh yeah. The, the one thing I wanted to say earlier though was Layman used to spar with Layla Ali. He used to uh, train or spar hard with Layla Ali, and he said that. And Mike, well, these women don't have the same upper body strength as men. When when a girl hits you really hard, bro, that shit stings. They don't, this is not getting hit from like a baby. Like if, like Layman said, when Layla Ali hit him with a really good punch, she was like surprised because they don't, while they don't have the body strength to put you down, that doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. It stings like a bitch. Like these girls can, these girls, it won't, it won't feel very good. And, uh, uh, I felt that while sparring this girl. I mean, like a Carissa Shields dude, I would try everything in my power to, well, maybe I'd have a chance against Carissa Shields because she couldn't hurt me. And I could just like keep throwing until like I tried and landed something, dude. I'd want to knock her out so bad. How do you think you'd do, Mike? You you knock her out, I because she couldn't hurt you, so you could just walk through her shit. Yeah, but I I just I would never spar. I just I don't know, man. I, I couldn't spar a female like that. I, I I just couldn't do it. It's just I, yeah, okay, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get I. I get but that, we got that, we got sixty seconds, Jack. Time. We got to wrap the show up, man, because we're going on two hours. So we got about sixty seconds. Okay, uh, yeah, one more question. It's not, oh, yeah, no, no, Mean Machine, uh, Mikel Fox, or whatever his name is, dude, that's going to be a brutal knockout for Mean Machine. Just, I don't okay. see anything else. All right. But then uh, the last thing I wanted to say, I'm about to get some ice cream. Uh, give me your top three ice cream flavors. I know it's totally random, but top three. Uh, shit. I don't know if I have like a top three. Man, I like like the, uh, okay, the, the cookie dough, the cookie dough one. Anything oh, with like, fuck uh, yeah, fuck that. What is it? Um, butter pecan's pretty good, and anything with caramel. 
I say caramel. My wife yells at me. She said, it's caramel. I'm like, it's fucking caramel. I'm from Michigan. So do you say caramel in Indiana? I'm from Carmel, Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Carmel, Indiana. That's where I'm from. Oh. Fucking Carmel, Indiana. There <laughs> yeah. it is. All right. Then my top three, cotton candy, cookies and cream, and then I don't know, like maybe sher- like raspberry sherbet or some shit. Okay. But anyways, that's my call, Mike. Uh, it was great talking to you, Mike. And shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <All right, laughs> yeah, take care, bro. Peace. All right, peace. All right, guys. I'm sorry. I'm leaving some of you on hold. We're up at two hours. Um, I, 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 will, I will try to do a better job making some of these calls quicker. I know we had some long ones early on, okay? I'll try to do better at that in the future. So uh, we'll see you guys Friday, all right? Peace.